0: ahead and be seated today as uh, as we get ready for our Bible study time this morning. Uh, And thank you for being here. You know, in uh, in less than two weeks, I'll celebrate my 34th birthday. Uh, And as I was reflecting this week on, uh, you know, on on the days of my youth, you know, as I begin to age now and and I think, you know, I haven't looked it up in a dictionary or anything, but I think I'm officially middle aged now at uh, at 34, 33 was on the on the low end. I'm taking a big step. I began to reflect on my youth, and I always used to think that I grew up in the 90s. Uh, But as I reflected a little bit, I realized that I actually, uh, I spent most of my childhood in the 80s, uh, believe it or not. And I started reflecting on some of my childhood memories. And some of you grew up in the 80s and early 90s like I did. And I thought about the TV shows that... uh, That kind of framed my childhood, the Cosby Show with Bill and Claire Huxtable. Did any of you watch the Cosby Show with Theo and Rudy? I remember one time I asked a kid in my youth ministry uh, if they, or I did a sermon illustration on Rudy Huxtable. Uh, and you could tell none of the kids knew who that was. And I thought, I'm I'm getting old. Uh, and I think about Full House, you know, the, with, which, uh, you know with with uh, Candace Cameron and um, Bob Saget, who's one of the weirdest individuals I've ever seen on TV uh, anywhere, and, you know, John Stamos and all the Full House crew. Uh, I think about Safe by the Bell every day after school, right, as a fourth, fifth, and sixth grader, and Zach Morris who had a cell phone the size of a shoebox that he would carry around with him, those of you who grew up, the same time I did remember that. Uh, I used to watch a show called Perfect Strangers with some weird guy named Balki Bartakamus. Did any of you watch Perfect Strangers back in the day? Now, those of you under 25, you're looking at me like I'm really old. Um, those of you over 45 are looking at me like I'm a little weird. Those of you in my age range, I can tell who's my age range just by your reaction. Uh, but one show that was my favorite that probably, as I, as I glanced back online when it was on, probably way too young to be watching it, uh, but I did, was Cheers. Uh, With the old Boston Red Sox pitcher Sam Malone who was a bartender and his old coach Uh, And this was a show that for some reason I used to sit up at night and watch with my dad And I used to love the theme song of Cheers Uh, And even if you didn't grow up watching this show, you're probably familiar with the song Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name It was a, a great song, a great community If you're like me, I grew up in a very small town How many of you are in here and you grew up in a town that has less than one stoplight? Raise raise your hand. That was my kind of town, less than one stoplight, went to Dairy Queen, the nearest McDonald's was 30 minutes away. Our town was actually called a village uh, on, on the signs, it was called the village of Bainbridge and we had about 2,000 people in it and everyone knew everyone. It was a place where sometimes you didn't want to be where everybody knew your name because you'd go into the barber shop on Saturday and the barber who you didn't even know real well would know what you did on Friday night and he would tell your dad if your dad didn't already know. So it was kind of a dangerous place to live but growing up in a small town you just you knew everyone. And, you know, as I look at church, church is a place where you should go where everybody knows your name, where you're known by people and where you know people. And it was interesting. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to spend a week with a man who was one of the, one of the more well-known Christian education guys, which is a guy who oversees Sunday school in a, in a big church. He had been at a church named Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. And it was a church that, while he was there, grew from about 2,000 to about 20,000. Uh, And I asked him, I said, man, that's a huge church. What's the secret of the church? And he handed me a blank sheet of paper and a pencil, and he said, I want you to write down one word, the one word, one word, uh, why you think people stay at a church long term. And, you know, I I didn't know anything. So I, you know, I wrote, you know, good worship. And he scratched that one out. And he said, nope. I said, good preaching. Scratch that one out. Nope. Wrote down two or three good children's ministry. He said, nope, kids get old and eventually they're not in the children's ministry. Great youth ministry. He said, nope. He said, the one reason that people will stay at a church and make it their home, and he wrote the word relationships, says relationships, people want to be at a church where they know people, where people know them. And he said, even if the preaching's bad and the music's bad and the staff change a little bit, if people have relationships at a church, they'll stay because people by and large need relationships to live their life spiritually. You know, this week I have reflected on that conversation probably more than any time in the last 10 years. Because of the text that we're going to study today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there because that's what we're studying in our Bible study time. And I'm going to ask one of our tech guys, if you can, and forgive me if this throws off our video stuff, but to come turn the lights on up here because they didn't get turned on today, and it's really dark for me seeing what I need to see. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is a really interesting study on the importance of Christian relationships. And we've been, and and by the way, if you're brand new, every Sunday we have our ushers pass out Bibles. If you forgot a Bible, uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you want to today use your Bible and read as we study, just wave at our ushers, they'll hand you one. If you don't have one, it's, it's yours to keep. We, in the last three and a half months, have given away over 200 Bibles. We just ordered another shipment of 100 so that you can have one to take home, you can have one at church. If you just forgot it and you have one at home, throw it on the usher's table when you leave. We'll pass it out again next week. But feel free to write in this Bible, take notes, underline. This one is yours today. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see the importance of spiritual relationship, Christian relationships. And if you look at the title of our Bible study today, we see the importance of being involved in a place spiritually, maybe not where everybody knows your name, but where somebody knows your name. The importance of Christian relationships, we start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll read through the entire thing today. It's only 13 verses. So Paul starts out and he says this, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought that it would be best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact... When we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And, as it turn, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and about your love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith, for now we really live, since you're standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you, to come back to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your heart so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, as we get into this chapter, here's the important thing you need to know about 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And it's unlike 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it's unlike 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, which we studied the last two weeks. There's a very interesting motivation behind this chapter. There's a really interesting premise for what Paul writes in this chapter, uh, in, and it's a characteristic of Paul that if you read the New Testament, you, you hear in him a lot. He's worried about the people uh, in the Thessalonians' church spiritually. If you, if you look at the first part of verse 5, uh, again, he says, When I could stand it no longer, when, when, when I couldn't go any longer without knowing how you were doing spiritually, he said, I had to send Timothy to talk to you. The whole premise of this chapter is that Paul is, is a guy who started a church. And if you remember from our early studies in 1 Thessalonians, he was with this church for three weeks before they ran him out of town. But in three weeks, he started a church that was still running. And now here Paul is. He's in Athens. He's actually, when he writes this book in Corinth, I'm going to show you those places in just a minute. But he is losing sleep. He's having conversation at breakfast and lunch at dinner about the people in the Thessalonian church. And you see his pastoral heart here because he is consumed with wondering how they're doing spiritually. Are you doing okay spiritually? Are you reading your Bible? Are you still struggling with those things you used to struggle with spiritually? Do you have any Christian friends? How's your marriage working out? How are those kids that were away from God? Paul is like so worried spiritually. He says, when I couldn't, when I couldn't stand being worried any longer... He said, I had to grab a friend and said, Timothy, I need you to to go visit this church and just find out how they're doing. So he says, I sent Timothy to come see you. And then we find out in the chapter, Timothy has come back, said everything is cool, and he's writing this chapter as a response of, I was so worried about you, but Timothy tells me everything's good, but here's a few things you need to know. Now, this is not Paul sending his assistant down the road to check on a church. If if we look at a map, and and we're going to pull a map up here. And this is kind of a, a broad map. By the way, those of you uh, who have a Bible, and I don't know if it's in that, that paperback Bible, but there's maps in the back of your Bible. And, and maybe as a young Christian or new to church, I always thought, why are there maps in the back of my Bible? Because it helps you understand where things are in Scripture. There's probably a map in your Bible that says Paul's missionary journeys. Mine is map five in the back. There. It'll be titled something like that um, you know, maybe a first missionary journey, second missionary journeys, you can go to the maps and you can actually maybe see in the back of your Bible where it is. But this is a map from my ESV study Bible that I was able to pull off online and, and it's kind of faded, but I'm going to try to use this little pointer. Okay. see this little pointer here on the right hand side, if you can follow it, you're all like dogs. Now see it, there it goes, there it goes. Um, but here's Jerusalem where the church originally began. And then Paul went from Jerusalem up to Antioch. You can barely see it on the map here. And this church, Antioch, I think that's Antioch. I can't read it very well, but it's in that, that, that general geography. This church decided that all this area needed to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. So they asked Paul, would you travel the world telling people about Jesus? And Paul said, yeah. So as you kind of follow the bouncing red arrows there, Paul worked, He went to all these places and when we opened First Thessalonians, he said, "Remember, he said we went through Amphipolis—that's a city right there. We traveled through Apollonia—that's a city right there—and he said we came to Thessalonica. And if you can go to the next map, it's just it's more Thessalonica. Now we're kind of Eastern Europe a little bit. And he said I got to Thessalonica. What were we, he was in Thessalonica for three weeks, right up here this big white block. And he got ran out of town, and they had to go to Berea and hide because they were going to be killed." And then after Berea, it says they traveled down to Athens. And Paul said, now Paul's in Athens. Eventually, he ends up in Corinth where he writes this book. And he said, I was so worried about you in Athens that I told Timothy, go back to Thessalonica just to check on them, spend a day with them, come back and tell me how they're doing. Paul was so worried about the people, he made his, basically his understudy, walk 250 miles one way through mountainous Mediterranean terrain to see how people were doing. Now, that's the true heart of a pastor, someone who every day is wondering how people in his church are doing, and he'll do anything to make sure they're doing okay. That would be like me grabbing one of my associate pastors, hey, I need you to run to St. Louis this week, uh, really a little east of St. Louis to check on someone, a little church that I only spent three weeks with, see how they're doing, and, and, and then come back. But you have to walk. Now, go as fast as you can. That's a big task. But the whole premise of this chapter is Paul says, I'm so worried about you spiritually, I just, I just need to know you're doing all right. In 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 11, verse 28, in the New Living Translation, Paul talking to the Corinthians church says, I'm actually, I'm not just worried about Thessalonica, I'm worried about all the churches. He said, besides all the stress he has, he said, I have the daily burden of my concern for the churches. I'm concerned about people spiritually. So week one was kind of a vision week for the church in Thessalonica, and our church here at Journey, turning the world upside down. Week two was about how to really begin to live for God. And we talked about last week living from the inside out and letting God really settle in our heart and lives to, to where that began to come out of our heart and lives. But this week is base, I mean, this week is basically like a pastoral counseling session. This is Paul sitting down with a new Christian, a new church member, somebody trying to live for God, and one-on-one really talking to them about what Christianity is is all about. And here's the interesting thing about this chapter, and and Daniel will tell you it drove her crazy this week. I actually made three different messages on 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 this week, and this is the third one that I made. Because I couldn't narrow down the focus, there was just so much, I couldn't narrow down the focus of what was most important. So I, I usually work on my message all day Monday, and on Tuesday I'll try to have the rough outline done to get over to the people who make our sermon notes, who do our PowerPoint. So Monday I had basically had my message completed, and Tuesday I began to craft it a little more. But the more I crafted, I thought, you know, I just don't like this. And I told Danielle, my message is finished, but I just, I don't like it. I don't feel like it's what I'm supposed to pull out of this chapter for our people. So I scrapped that entire message and I made another one. And I slept on that for a night. And I got up and began to study it the next day. And I thought, you know, out of this second message, really only half of this is extremely important. And I'm kind of taking my cues from last. last week was kind of two messages, not one that there was a mini-message on getting past your past. And then there was one on having a spiritual mindset. And I felt like I too quickly brushed by getting past your past so that I could get to the rest of it. And I didn't want to do that this week. So I took the second message I made and I literally deleted everything but one point of it. And today's message is that one point, it's what I called as I kept as I kept trying to narrow down my message. I kept looking at First Thessalonians three and I thought, you know, there's some really important stuff in this chapter. How do I teach this whole chapter while talking about the really important stuff? And God finally on Wednesday said, Hey dummy, you don't. Just teach the really important stuff. Leave the rest of it. You don't want to miss the really important stuff. So today I'm trying to give you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 the really important stuff. And it's stuff that I don't feel like was ever told to me when I was was a young Christian and when I was growing up in church. These are things that I think if the church would get more honest and if Christians would get more honest, I think we'd all be able to live our faith much more freely. and And I think we would have much better spiritual longevity if if we would believe the truth of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 this really important stuff so that we could be a Christian not for a year or two but like for the rest of our life really try to live for God three things that I think are really important out of this chapter first Paul wanted the church in Thessalonians to in Thessalonica to know so he wants us to know that people can easily become unsettled spiritually by trials it's easy it's easy To get unsettled spiritually. I want you to circle the word easily there on on your sermon notes. Paul writes to the the Thessalonians like, hey, this happens to everyone. Everyone sometimes gets shaken in their faith. Everyone at some point in time turns their back on God. Everyone has the, every now and then, the desire in their heart to quit or to go another direction or to do something else. Paul said it's easy when life gets hard to question your faith. Now, I really wasn't told that a whole lot growing up. I was told if you did that, you were weak or you were sinful or you just didn't love God enough. But Paul says, hey, you need to know in your Christian life, there's going to be a lot of things that really throw you for they're going to unsettle you. And you may not be happy where you are spiritually and you might get out of church for a little while. And you might kind of, you know, we used to call this in the Nazarene church that I grew up in, you know, you might backslide. You might not even act like a Christian for a few years ago. Some things might happen that might really make you question God. It's a really interesting text, but I feel it's really important to read. First Thessalonians 3, verses 2 through 4. Paul says, We sent Timothy, who's our brother, who's God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ. We just saw that walk that he took 250 miles through Mediterranean mountains to get to Thessalonians to find out everything was okay to come back down to Corinth to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we're destined. If you have your Bible, I want you to circle that word destined or highlight it, whatever that word is in your translation. He said you are going to have trials that unsettle you In fact when we were with you look what paul says we kept telling you that this would happen So I want you to see this paul had a church that he only spoke in three times Paul only gave three sermons in this church over three sabbaths and one of the sermons was You're going to have really hard times in your life and they're going to shake your faith spiritually Now how come that's not one of the first things we're told when we become a christian or when we begin to follow jesus Or when we really begin our faith? Instead, we're you know we're presented with with what I call I grew up with with what I would call a Christian Disney world, and the characters of the Bible were 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 Disney characters and they were superheroes and they were supermen and, we, and if we could just all have their life and it was kind of like more spiritual fantasy than biblical honesty, you know I used to wish that I could be like Joseph you know Joseph in his coat of many colors you can go see that on Broadway you know Joseph who had this tremendous life Joseph didn't have a tremendous life. I'd never want to be like Joseph. The Disney Joseph be really cool. He ended up reigning over the most powerful country of the world. The real Joseph was sold by his family into slavery just because they didn't like him. The real Joseph was falsely imprisoned, possibly for up to a decade in prison for no good reason. He didn't even do anything wrong. Joseph was a guy that was good-looking and moral, and because of that, people hated him. You look at the, the cleaned-up version of Joseph, and you think, oh, if I could just be like Joseph. You look at the real story, not the fantasy, but the faithfulness of Scripture, and you say, ugh, I don't know that I'd want that life for me. You know, look at, you look at Daniel in the lion's den. Oh, to be a Daniel. I've probably preached sermons called, you know, to dare to be a Daniel. That is a popular sermon title in the 80s when I grew up. Um, you know, and, and I look at the real Daniel, and say, I don't want to be Daniel. Daniel's parents were killed by terrorists. And then Daniel, forgive the honesty of the text, was castrated so that he could serve around women that were close to the king without worrying that he would have an affair with him. And then he spent his entire life literally as a slave of a foreign government. You want to be like Daniel? I mean, Daniel, the fairy tale, is awesome. You know, he spent a night cuddling with lions in the lion's den and they didn't kill him. If we could all be like Daniel. That's not what the Bible said Daniel's life was like. Daniel's life was hard. Joseph's life was hard. The disciples, oh, if I could be a disciple of Jesus. Do you know 10 of the 12 disciples were killed specifically because of their association with Jesus? One of the 12 who wasn't killed, Judas, killed himself. The other one, John, got exiled, the apostle John, exiled to an island and kind of lived his life in in isolation there. Christianity is not easy. Christianity is not fantasy land. God doesn't want us to focus on fantasy. He wants us to focus on faithfulness. Faithfulness. Say the word faithfulness. Say it again. All you can do in life is be faithful. You can't be perfect. You can't have a perfect world. You can't have a stress-free life. But but when things come that unsettle you spiritually, and maybe you're someone who's been unsettled spiritually, and you've you've kind of been questioning your faith lately, or you've been out of church, or you've been disillusioned with church, or you've been wondering where your place in the world is spiritually, and you just you can't sleep at night, and you you know you're anxious and you just wonder, God, are you ever going to use me? God, do you even love me? God, is there any hope for me? You need to realize that's normal. You're not weird, you're normal. That's that's kind of how Christianity works. He say, well, why don't more pastors warn their people about it? I don't know. Jesus warned his disciples. In John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. Being a Christian is not easy. It's not a fantasy. I'm not asking you for faithfulness. Profa- I'm asking you for faithfulness. So you lose your job for no good reason. That's going to shake your faith, but be faithful. Just hang in there. So you're in a relationship, and your husband or your wife has an affair, and it just throws you for a loop for years. God's not expecting you to bounce back and say, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Just be faithful. Just hang in there. Things happen. Your house gets foreclosed on. One of your kids gets sick and and they die. You have a miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. You know, one of the uh, couples in our church, uh, Jeremy and Emily Dahmer, just had a baby on Thursday afternoon. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful baby boy. And after three miscarriages, they never thought they'd have a baby. Man, we cried We cried tears with them night after night through that process. But they were faithful. They just were faithful. They just kept going as much as they could. My little sister has had three miscarriages. She's now 12 weeks pregnant. We're all scared out of our minds that number four is on the way. And we're just, you say, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to be strong? No, I'm just trying to be faithful. I don't know what's coming. I just want to pray that God will get me through it. Paul said, you need to understand that you're going to have times in your life where you're extremely unsettled spiritually. Things don't seem right in your heart. He said, it's normal. It's normal. Just be faithful. I love what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Peter, in writing his kind of letter that he wrote to the church world, said, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, These have come, these trials come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine. So interesting. Paul had three messages to preach to this church. And he confronted spiritual stress and said, don't quit. When things get hard, don't quit. When you question everything, don't quit. Just be faithful. You need to understand, Christians get unsettled by trials according to the Bible. According to other pastors, maybe not, but according to the Bible, yes. Number two is really important. I'm, and I'm trying just to give the important stuff in this message. Paul said, you need to understand Christians are tempted just like everyone else. Christians are tempted just like everybody else. Look at, uh, look at verse 5. Look at it on, on the screen because I'm going to read it in a different translation, the New Living Translation, which I really like this verse in the New Living Translation. Paul said, that's why when I could bear it no longer... I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. So at one point it was strong, but he worried that it wasn't anymore. Because so He said, I was afraid the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. I'm afraid someone who used to be really strong spiritually had been tempted by something in their past and they weren't strong spiritually anymore. Now, Paul was talking not only to Christians, but to strong Christians. And he was saying it's, re- it's possible for a strong Christian to be tempted with something that makes him not a strong christian anymore and paul said I was afraid that might have happened to you Now the word temptation defined by webster's dictionary is really interesting It's to entice to do wrong By the promise of pleasure or the promise of gain You say what does it mean to be tempted? It's it's being enticed to do something wrong By the promise of pleasure or the promise of gain You know, we talk about the the life of joseph maybe the greatest picture of temptation in the bible is the life of joseph who you know if if you study the life of joseph joseph had some hot chick chasing him around that wasn't his wife that wanted to have sex with him all the time landed him in prison because because he wouldn't do it says he ran from temptation you know i'm fortunate that the only hot chick that chases me around for sex is my wife um and we'll uh you know we'll talk more about that next month um (laughs) not that specifically but that 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 thought we'll we'll discuss that uh, discuss that next week. But you know it's not temptation when when uh, when you're married. It's just obedience to God's command to be fruitful and multiply. But temptation is hard, right? Paul said to the Ephesian church in Ephesians four twenty six through twenty eight. Paul says, "In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold." Then he says something interesting here. We think this is about stealing, but it's deeper than that. He said, he who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must do work, doing something useful with his hands so that he may have something to share with those in needs. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying there's some things you used to do before you were a Christian. In this case, it was stealing and anger. But he said there's some things you used to do before you were a Christian. And he said you're going to be tempted to keep doing those. Don't. Some things you used to do before you were a Christian, you're going to be tempted to keep doing those. Don't. You know, every Christian is, is tempted by something. You know, there's an interesting word, uh, there's an interesting Greek word for Christians who don't think they're, they're tempted by anything. I want you to write it down for me. And here's, here's the word, stupid. Um, you know, <laughs> Christians that say, well, I'm not tempted by anything, are ignorant. They're biblically ignorant. And, and they're self-righteous, and I'd rather not have those type of Christians in our church. I, I'd rather have a real Christians say, man, this week was so hard. But by the grace of God, nine out of ten times, I I did well. Those are the type of people that, that I want to build a church with. But the Bible says that we're going to be tempted. There's only two men in the history of the world who weren't born to sin. One was Adam, who was created, you know, with the ability to be perfect, but he messed it up. And then there was Jesus, who was created without sin. Every other person in the world, all of us were born to sin. We know how to sin without being taught. Let me give you an example. How many of you have children? Raise your hand. How many of you remember when your children were young teaching them to say please and thank you and trying to get them to over and say please, say please, say thanks, say. How many of you remember teaching your kids how to say no? They learned that one on their own, right? It's like how, they, how many of you taught your kids to say mine when someone tried to take something from them? See, they learned that one on their own. See, our kids know how to do the wrong things. They're born with that. They're born selfish. They're born in rebellion. I mean, that's just, if you have kids, you know that. You train them to do things right, and they do things wrong without you doing it. You have to kind of retrain the wrong things. Only two people were born not to sin. And here's the interesting thing. Both of them were tempted. You could be the most spiritual person in this church, and I promise you, you're not as spiritual as Jesus, and he was tempted. Now, if Jesus is tempted, guess who else is going to be tempted? Everyone. Everyone. And the Bible says that Adam and Jesus were tempted the exact same way. It's really interesting. When when the Bible talks about temptations, it always boils it down to three categories. These aren't on your sermon notes, but you can jot them down if you want. They will not be on the screen. The Bible says we're always tempted in one of three areas. Number one, lust of the eyes. Things that sure do look good to do. We're tempted in areas, what was called lust of the eyes. Things that really look good to do. We're we're, We're tempted in lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh would be defined as things that sure would feel good to do. The Bible says when you're tempted, you're going to be tempted by the lust of the eyes, things that look good. By the lust of the flesh, things that would feel good. And then you're tempted, number three, by what's called the pride of life in Scripture. So lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. These are the three areas, one of three areas or more that you'll be tempted in. What is the pride of life? Things that will make other people look at me differently, make other people look at me better. Things that I desire so people will think better of me. When you boil down every issue that the human race has, they all fall into these categories. Having a lack of integrity, that's pride of life. Trying to portray to somebody that we are someone we're not really. Why is that? Because we just we want them to think better of us. That's being tempted in the area of, of pride of life to present a false sense of who you are. Being unfaithful in marriage usually falls into lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes. I saw him, I saw her, you know, I knew this would feel good. Uh, You think about debt. Those of us, and I I say us plural, those of us who are in debt, there's probably not very many people if anyone in this room who's totally debt-free, maybe maybe a a few. Debt, probably lust of the the eyes and pride of life. And I see that, I want that. I don't have enough money for it, but Capital One does. Um, Pride of life, you know, man, my neighbors would think better of me if I drove this car, so I'll get a little higher loan and then I'll buy groceries on my American Express. You get it. The the temptations fall in those categories. And a Christian isn't immune to strong, overwhelming, sometimes cause you to fail temptation. So as a Christian, you have to know what you're tempted by. I I don't know what you're tempted by. I know what I'm tempted by. What's really annoying is my wife knows what I'm tempted by. And she'll remind me often about those things and check on me in those things. And it helps me. I mean, it makes me stronger spiritually. But it's tough because I have both the Holy Spirit and Danielle who are constantly helping me in, uh, in, in those areas. Um, temptations can damage your faith. Falling to temptations can damage. Now, it can't kill it, but it can damage it. And here's what Paul's talking about. Just some really important things. These are things you need to know. Stress, trials can shake in your faith and what you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing spiritually. Temptations can damage your faith. But then he gives, and this is the overarching theme of this chapter, and boy, I have learned this in my life the last 18 months have been a personal lesson in this for me. Number three, Paul wants us to know, and this is threaded from verses 1 through 13, that loneliness is spiritually dangerous. Loneliness is spiritually dangerous. The whole theme of this chapter is, is if you know if paul says if I can get there if timothy can get there if you'll be there for each other If I know that you're not alone I know you have a better chance to survive spiritually, but loneliness is spiritually dangerous This is not a new thought Actually, this is the first thought in the bible given to us and I, I won't uh, I won't stay here forever But if you have a bible go back to genesis 1, I want to show you this in, in the bible Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, so after you get past, like, the preface and the table of contents, you'll be at Genesis. Because the very first thought of Scripture, of spiritual danger, is this thought of loneliness. Before any other sins, temptations, bad stuff is mentioned, loneliness is hit. And I want to show you, for those of you who are brand new to church, in Genesis 1 and 2, we hear the creation story. What the Bible says about how God created the heavens and the earth and, and how it all came about. And on six days he created a thing and, and on five of these days, for some reason day two, he, you know, he didn't say that, uh, that creating an atmosphere was good. But every other day he created something and he said, cool, it's good. Um, and I'm just going to fly through Genesis chapter 1, um, start in verse 3 and I'm going to jump around a lot. Day one, God says, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good. Circle the word good if, if it says that in your Bible. Day one, good. Verse, uh, verse Day two, verse nine. God says, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place so dry ground can appear. Uh, and it was so. By the, I'm sorry, this is day three. God called the dry ground land. He called the gathered water seas. And God said, it's good. It's good. That worked. I like it. Uh, day four. Uh, We start getting some vegetation and some trees and stuff. Verse 11, God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees, blah, blah, blah. Verse 12, so it happened. The land produced vegetation, plants, all kinds of stuff. And God said, it's good. That worked. Good. Perfect. Um, Verse 17, day 5 now, or maybe day 4. God says, we need some lights in the skies. It's too dark at night, not light enough during the day. So in verse 14, let some lights be in the sky. Here we get stars, moon, sun. Planets whatever verse 17 god sets them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth To govern the day and the night god saw that the separated the light from the darkness and god said it's good It's good that worked Uh, verse 20 We're on day five or six now forgive me for not having a better uh, Knowledge of this Uh, God says let some uh, let some animals animals be in the water. Let some animals fly in the sky verse 21 So god created the great creatures of the sea everything that's in the sea uh, And all the winged birds and god said it's good That worked. That's good. Um, Day six, God says, we're going to do some animals. Um, Verse 25, so God made the wild animals according to their kinds, livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God says, good, that worked. Now, go to Genesis 2. So you get the track record here. God says, I'm going to create something, and it's good. Create something else, it's good. Create something else, it's good. Genesis 2.18. And we'll start in verse 15. So God creates a man. He puts him in the garden to work the garden, and he's going to name some animals. So verse 15, the Lord God took man, put him in the garden to work it, take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you can eat from fruit, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat it, you'll die. And the Lord said, it's, what's the next two words there? Not not good. First time in the Bible, God said, eh, not good enough. Everything else, good, 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 good. What's not good in Genesis 2.18? It's not good for man to be, what's the word? Loneliness is spiritually dangerous. If you're in the perfect world, the Garden of Eden, if you've got the perfect life, think about living in a zoo like, like the movie Zookeeper, except for real, like where the, you, you and the animals commune and you're safe. Well, I mean, that's a pretty cool world, right? God said that world is not good enough for us because it's not good that we would be alone. Loneliness is spiritually dangerous. And, you know, what's really interesting is, you know, you hear many times, you go to church planning conferences, you read leadership books, and John Maxwell and Zig Ziglar are famous, you know, for the saying, leadership is lonely. Yeah, you know, I, I got it. What I have learned in the last 18 months, leadership might be lonely, but it can't be done alone because loneliness is spiritually dangerous. And if you don't recognize this spiritually, that loneliness is spiritually dangerous, the, the trials in your life will shake you more deeply. The temptations in your life will damage you more deeply. Loneliness is, is like exponentially making your spiritual problems worse. In Matthew eleven fifteen, it's interesting. Jesus said, he who has ears. He would teach something and at the end of his teaching, he would say this. He who has ears, let him hear. He's basically saying this. A lot of you aren't really listening to me. But if you really have ears, listen to what I'm saying. You say it's one thing to hear that loneliness is spiritually dangerous. It's another thing to recognize it, to admit it, to do something about it. You know, the U.S. just did a study last year in 2011. uh, And in 2011, three times as many people were killed in 2011 than in 2004 uh, simply because they had headphones in their ears and they could not hear their surroundings. Headphones in their ear while driving, headphones on their ear while walking on the streets, headphones on their ear while riding a bike, headphones on their ear while out jogging. They just couldn't hear anything around them. Three times as many people were killed because they, they weren't listening as were in 2004. And you know, there's probably a lot of people who sit in church and leave, and it's like you've had headphones on. You, you aren't really listening. And the Bible says that loneliness is spiritually dangerous. People who say, I don't need any friends, don't have a good grip on what the bible says about that issue i don't want to call them stupid because i'm sure there's a reason they're in that place they've been hurt they've been harmed but to say i don't need any friends is to tell the devil come and get me i'm all alone come and get me you know ecclesiastes 4 9 through 12 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and doesn't have anyone to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands isn't quickly broken. What did Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2? He said, we sent Timothy. I sent someone to you who's our brother and, and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. If you have your Bible still open to 1 Thessalonians 3 and you probably don't because you turn to Genesis, I want you to circle the word strengthen. Or just write it on your sermon notes if your Bible's not open on your lap. That word strengthen. In, in, the, uh, in the Greek, the original Bible was written in the Greek, not the English language. So sometimes we don't do the best job of translating the word. That word strengthen is literally the Greek word that was used in Greek literature of reinforcing a leaning wall that was getting ready to fall down. Paul basically said, listen, I sent Timothy, I knew you were getting ready to fall spiritually, so I sent Timothy, basically, to lean up against you so you wouldn't fall down. I sent Timothy to make sure you didn't fall. I sent Timothy to make sure you were okay. You know, I heard a really interesting story a year ago that I checked back into because it reminded me so much of this scripture of loneliness being spiritually dangerous and the thought of 1 Thessalonians 3 And and maybe you heard it last year, uh, and maybe it was a year and a half ago, two Division II softball teams were playing up in the Upper Northwest where probably not a whole lot of people care. Uh, Western Oregon was playing Central Washington. And they were in the second game of a doubleheader to see who would win their league championship. And Western Oregon was up to bat. And because it was the second game of a doubleheader, they sent a girl to the plate who was, her batting average was less than 100 that year. Her name was Sarah Tukolsky. She was a, a real marginal high school player. Wanted to play in college, went and played in college. Was always kind of a utility player, and was having the worst year of her life as a senior. And in the second game of, of the doubleheader, they sent Sarah up to bat, and she got up to bat with two outs, two people on base, uh, and she had never hit a home run in high school, ever hit a home run that a clear defense, never hit a home run in four years of college at a clear defense, and she just got the perfect pitch and just grooved it, and bang, she connected and sent a ball out over the center field wall, first home run of her life. As she rounded the bases in excitement, she jumped up to give a double high five to the first base coach who had played with her for three years. She was a, a GA. And when she did that, she missed first base, knowing that if she missed first base, she would be out. She turned around to go back to hit first base, and she tore three ligaments in her knee when she planted her leg in the ground. And as her teammates were rounding the bases to score, they looked over, and she was laying on the ground bawling, about three feet from first base. And as she sat there wondering what to do, the, the, the first base coach knew that as a teammate, if she touched a player who was running the bases, she'd be out. And she didn't want to take away her first home run. So she asked the ump, what, what can we do? What options do we have? And the ump says, if she can crawl back to the base, uh, you can put a pinch runner in for her. But it counts as a single, not a home run. But if anyone on the team touches her, she's, she's out. You can't touch a live runner during a, during a live ball situation. And the first baseman of the other team, a girl named Mallory Holtman, asked the umpire, what if I help her? And the ump says, as long as it's not her team, uh, you can help and she won't be out. So Mallory Holtman, the first baseman, and Liz Wallace, the shortstop, picked up this opponent who'd hit the first home run of her life, and they carried her around the bases, setting her down on second base to touch the base, setting her down on third base to touch the base, taking her home, and letting her touch home base. We've got the video to, to show you today. This is Sarah about a year ago. Here she is up to bat. There's a two-player score and she's nowhere to be seen there. And then they'll cut to the video of this other team. Now as you watch this, here's what I want you to think. You have anyone in your life that would do that for you spiritually when you fall down? You have anyone in your family who, when you're hurting, will do this for you? You have anyone in your church who, when you're not strong enough to keep going, will do this for you? That's what Paul is talking about for Thessalonians chapter 3. When he said if you have people like this You are going to fall You you are going to fall You're going to fail You're going to have horrible days weeks months and years spiritually And the bible says if you fall and you have people to pick you up no big deal But if you fall and you have no one to help you up Wow, what do you do? You crawl back to the base do you get out? What do you, what do you do? You know, 18 months ago, here's the reality that I figured out in my life. Here's what I want to challenge you with, and then we'll be done. You know, 18 months ago, I was really lonely in my life. I was doing ministry in a big church around lots of people, and I had the mindset I I had I had been drilled with this mentality that that uh, if you get close to people, you'll get hurt spiritually. Um, so just you know, kind of keep people at an arm's length. But here's the problem. I knew, I knew that I needed people. I just, I, I needed them kind of on my terms and my, and my time. And as I look back on it now, 18 months ago, I was really lonely, but it was my fault because I wasn't close to anyone and I didn't let anyone get close to me. And I knew that I needed people in my life to help me. So, you know what I, what I did? And it just hit me this week. I, I told Danielle for the first time this week, I realized it I told Danielle, here here was a mentality I had. If you get close to people, you might get hurt. So don't get too close to people. But there's going to be times in your life when you need people. So you know what that results in? That results in you using people. I need to have a few people in life that if I need them, they're there for me. But I'm not there for anyone. So how do I know if I'm someone who uses people? And And I, to my shame, was. I didn't mean to be, but that's. I just I was sick spiritually. I didn't get this and I was I was and I was lonely. I suffered from it You know, if you're someone who when things go wrong in your life, you have four or five people you call But when those things go wrong in their life, they never call you you're a user You're a taker You know when things are wrong, you you know, I need you to fix this. I need you to fix this. I need you to fix this But no one ever calls you in return It's because they know that you don't have time to carry them around the bases And what I find from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says to Sirius, says, look, you need people. He says, you need people and people need you. You have got to reach out and have authentic friendships. And if you don't have a friendship that you'll answer the phone for in the middle of the night or or you'll take a half a day of work off to go help somebody, listen, you don't have a true friend. And, And your family should be excluded from a friend's. Paul says loneliness is spiritually dangerous. You know why you might not have any good, loyal friends? Maybe it's because you're not a good, loyal friend. And, you know, this is not really a build the church message today. This is kind of a build your life message today. If you never come back to our church, you need to understand this. You have to have some people in your life spiritually that you love and that you're loved by because you're you're not going to be able to finish every home run trot. You need some people to help you. When the marriage fails, and it might, you need some people to help you. When your kids go off the deep end, and most of them will, including mine, you're going to need someone to help you. When when your health fails, and it will, you're going to need someone there with you. That's what Paul's trying to say. You need people. Cheers, right? You need you need to have a group of people where everyone knows your name, and, and they really love you, and they care about you. I say, Christian, what do I do if I don't have any Christian friends? It, it, three things that, that I want you to think about, and then we'll be done. We'll, we'll pray and be done today. If you don't have any Christian friends, and maybe you don't, you need to get involved in a small group so you can meet people, first of all, at, uh, at our church or, or some church. You, you'll probably never meet people on Sunday morning at this church unless you serve with them. There's just no time. The music's so loud. You know, you're always cramming a donut in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other. You're not going to really meet anyone here unless you're serving. You might say hi, bye. You might learn some names. You'll never know anyone. Um secondly, say well, I don't want to be in a small group I don't want to make any new friends, but I don't have any christian friends. There's a second option for you You can bring your current friends to our church or a church So they can experience spiritual life And then basically your friends remain your friends. They just become your christian friends. It's a real good option, too You know, I don't want to meet new people. I have people that i'm really close to They just you know, they're not really they're, they're not really into spiritual things If you can help them get there you can grow together spiritually Uh, And number three, if I were you, I'd do both at the same time. And have this be a year where you have some friends. I'm telling you, 18 months ago, you know, I wasn't a friend. I had some people who cared about me, but I was not a friend. I can sit here today and say my life is, I, I have more than a handful of people that I'm with weekly, that I hang out with, that have nothing to do with church. They're just my friends. And my life has changed because of it. Um, and you know what i'm going to let them down and they're going to let me down But as long as we're both okay with everyone being human You know, I, I think we'll be all right with that proverbs 18 24 says this a man who has friends Must himself be friendly You know, maybe the solution to this message is you reaching out If you sit here and say I don't have any I don't have anyone Maybe you need to reach out Because if you reach out, I promise you we can we can uh, Get you where you can interact with people uh, and maybe begin your best year spiritually ever. Now, the first friend that you need, the Bible says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, friend better than a real friend. His name is Jesus. The first friend you need is is Jesus. You need him to embrace you, to love you, to forgive you, to become a Christian. If you're in here today and you've not become a Christian, we have people almost every week pray to become a Christian at our church. Maybe this is your week. So I'm going to ask you as we end our service just to bow your head and close your eyes, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, You know, the first step to overcoming spiritual loneliness is to establish a relationship with God and to reach out to God and accept his love, accept his forgiveness, to accept that you can't, you're not going to be perfect for him, but you want to be loved by him and you want to try to live for him. If you've never done that, if you've never become a Christian, if you've never asked God to be your friend, then you can do that right here today. Say, how do I do that? You just pray. So I'm not really sure how to pray. I'll I'll lead you. I'll say a prayer you can repeat. You don't even have to repeat it out loud. You can just say it in your heart. The Bible says if you cry out to God, He hears you. He's near you and He hears you. He'll love you and He'll respond and embrace you. Today, if you need to become a Christian, not go to church, not have faith, not have baptized, but become a Christian, become a friend with God, then pray this prayer. Just in your heart. You don't even have to pray it out loud. Dear God, I need you in my life. And I want you in my life. I pray today, God, that you will be in my life. And today, by faith, which means I might not totally understand it, but I'm going to believe it and trust it, I ask that Jesus would forgive me of my sins, that He would not hold against me the things I've done wrong up to this point, and that He would come into my life and be my friend, be my Savior. And one day, give me eternal life in heaven so I can be with Him forever. I'll try my best to live for you. And I'll love you and try to get to know you better. I pray that you'll come into my life and be my friend today, God. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today with nobody looking around, please, if you just prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up just so that I can know, yeah, Christian, I prayed that prayer and I want you to know. Now, if you're here today and... uh, Maybe you're spiritually lonely or maybe you're spiritually stressed or maybe you're spiritually tempted and You've been thinking about quitting spiritually because of that. I just want to pray for you I'm, not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything, but I just want to if you're in those three positions I just want to pray for you God, I pray for those in this room who have trials that have them unsettled They don't even know like which end is up spiritually that you'll speak to them strengthen them and help them to be faithful God, I pray for those who are enduring temptation. Maybe last week they did well. Maybe two weeks ago it was horrible. Maybe this week it will all fall apart. Who knows? But, Lord, every one of us is facing temptation. Help us in our temptation not to damage our faith. And, God, I pray for those in the room who are like I was a year ago. They're spiritual lonely. Maybe they don't have a friend because they don't know how to be a friend. Maybe they want the whole world available to them, but they're not available to anyone. They're just a user. God, I pray that you'll help people in this room who are strong to open up, to be great friends, and those who need friends to reach out and say, hey, I need this in my life so that we can all grow stronger spiritually. This is not about church. This is about the individual today. So God, allow that to happen within the people of our church. God, we love you. Thank you for your message today, Lord. There was some really, there was some important stuff in here today. And Lord, I felt like we took time going over it. So thank you for having me throw away my first two messages so I could talk about this today. And bless us as a church as we continue to find out what you want us to do, and we do it. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, "Amen." Together, here's what I'm gonna.